0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soon as my feet touch the floor today. One mission. Hustle and Welcome to the Leaderhood Podcast. I'm David Skidmore. This is a podcast to help you overcome challenges and experience transformation as a leader. And before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Modern Leadership. It is an eight-month leadership track, including a full digital library. You're going to love it. It's going to help leadership become simple and clear for you in the modern era. We're taking on subjects like digital transformation. Talking about D, E, and I, and a lot more that's very relevant for you at this time as a leader. Go find out more about modern leadership today, leadergrowth.us. That's leadergrowth.us. You know, a lot of leaders struggle with focus. The world is becoming increasingly complex Things are moving more quickly than they ever have. And then on top of that, there are, it seems, a thousand little things to steal your attention. So today we have Matt Hengen, the CEO of Water4 on the podcast. And we're going to be talking about his journey to getting his focus back. Now, Matt has gone on some fascinating tours and trips along with Water4 helping provide sustainable water solutions for people all over the world. Uh, Matt has been an ultra marathoner, uh, Ironman completer, and a lot of other really interesting things you'll hear more about in the podcast today. I don't want to give all of it away, but go ahead, lean in because we are getting into some fantastic Content on how you can find more peace in your mind, how you can find more purpose in your life, and how you can become more focused as a leader. Let's go to my conversation with Matt Hangan now. But first, the song Hustle from our friend JB. I'm Well, Matt Hangen, thanks for joining us today on the Leader Growth Podcast. It is great, as always, to see you, my friend. Yeah, you too. Well, today we're going to be jumping into some of these ideas around uh, finding our focus as leaders, gaining peace, and your own journey and going analog. But before we jump into all of that, can you give us just a little backstory on the Matt Hangen story?
1: Yeah, uh, very quickly uh Alabama farm kid super 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 duper rural uh upbringing uh radical encounter with god uh, missionary in west africa water guy ceo of nonprofit water for uh that's the the big story lots of health challenges and excitement in between but um that's the rundown
0: yeah you got that in like 30 seconds. Seconds. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty impressive. Okay. So, uh, when, when we talk about water, though, we're not just talking about general, like water help. You, you all at Water 4 are actually doing something around sustainability. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the water crisis is huge. You know, it's a billion, two billion person problem,
1: but there's another problem, and that's half the water projects that are funded are broken at any one time. And there's only a quarter of the funding globally needed to fix the water crisis. So, you've got a quarter of the funding, half the projects broken. Water4 exists to solve that equation. Two billion people, quarter of the funding, half the projects broken. So we build water businesses in Africa that actually design water solutions tailored on the uh, incomes of people in rural communities. So instead of seeing two dollars a day as a as a like a sentence to someone who's going to be forever poor, we design water systems that are going to be really convenient to free up time, so they're going to earn more money, and then we create jobs and um, and reduce all the health impacts of dirty water in the process. So yeah. We, it's... Yeah. With 1300 projects a year, Oklahoma city based nonprofit started in 2008.
0: It's a beautiful thing. When you think about, you know, you said 1300 projects. Yes. Okay. And that spans the entire continent of, of Africa. Is it, are, are, are you guys in other places as well? we work in nine countries in Africa mm-hmm. and we have an area-based approach
1: that tries to saturate entire counties with safe water so no matter mm-hmm. where you go during the day school work hospitals you have safe water provided by one of our service providers
0: now a work like this means that you're i would just imagine constantly connected because you, you know if you have 1300 projects going you have a, a lot of project managers you're uh, connected in nations communities villages and so uh, as far as that goes that sounds to me like if a very ever increasing pace that you mm-hmm. have to deal with is that anywhere yeah. close to right yeah when well, when we started i used to have to carry
1: my phone into the shower with me because somebody would call oh, with, my a, goodness. With, a, with a broken broken drilling tool down hole and i would have to help them fish it out and so i literally got you know, a waterproof phone case when they first came out because I had to carry my phone with me everywhere. It was on loud, under my pillow, in the shower. And I was, you know, helping people get water out of the ground, uh, you know, in real time. And uh, There's 650 people trying to provide water through
0: these companies that we interact with every day. So a lot of connection. Wow. When, when you think about that, you know, I I'm thinking about somebody who does that long enough. It would be difficult to not be in... A feeling of always being in reactive mode, mm-hmm. and so I'm. A, I'm curious, like how have you handled that over a long span? Because uh, you're also a very strategic guy, uh, and and so w- what do those two worlds look like for you? Yeah, I think uh, I've been rea- in reactive mode since I was a
1: kid, uh, so I can't I can't can't blame the job for it. But uh, yeah, it was you know it's definitely put fuel on that fire of the sort of hyper vigilance of needing constantly to be in reaction. And when uh, you know when I became CEO, we were in like a big transitional moment with strategy and fundraising, and a lot of my job and career has been managing um, sort of the positive forward falling crises of, of of different organizations and and really complex countries and really complex environments um, and uh it, yeah it was a huge challenge that um, you know led to what we 're you know going to talk about today i think
0: yeah so along with that uh just a, a little background so that people understand who who we 're talking to uh, you like to take on some pretty big challenges besides a water crisis. Uh, That's happening on the other side of of the world. Um, You've mentioned that you've done ultra marathons. Um, Just tell tell me a little bit about this world for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always done weird, uh, difficult things, blacksmithing, woodworking. And then Mm -hmm. uh, I've had health problems for 12 years. So I lost 120 pounds. I uh, did a marathon. I started training for my marathon at 300 pounds. Uh, did my, from 300 to first marathon in, in under a year. Um, and then ran across the Grand Canyon and back, uh, on purpose, on purpose, uh, did <laughs> can't imagine sport. anybody doing it by accident, but <laughs> <laughs> did that twice, uh, two different events, ran wow. around Mount, Mount Hood in Oregon twice, two loops, 82 miles, uh, did a half Ironman, full Ironman, um. And uh, did my Ironman two months after being having been hit by a car, so I had a separated shoulder that I'm getting fixed wow. tomorrow, um, and swam two and a half miles like that. And yeah, just oh my goodness, kind of wired for a challenge and finding uh, fun
0: in it. Yeah, and and part of what I like about your journey in this is as I've gotten to, to spend a little bit more time with you is is learning that. You don't run from challenges, you embrace them. And so when everybody else may be going a different direction, you'll actually take uh, sometimes the proverbial road less traveled, Um, which kind of leads us into this year. You know, over over the past couple of years, a lot of leaders have had a challenge of... um, having to become incredibly reactive, um, and the world is constantly changing. And and so within your own life, within your own leadership, you've had, uh, some, some challenges that, that came along and then like a a few defining moments. And so, um, when we were having coffee a few months ago, you talked to me about this idea of going, I believe you, you referred to it as going analog. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, can you tell us about what that means <laughs> and then what that journey has looked like for you
1: yeah I mean it's going old school is what it is but you know when yeah. when, when my wife and I went to Africa we left in 2008 yeah. and in 2008 an iPhone was 500 bucks still like it, then the the three whatever hadn't come out yet and dropped the price and nobody had them and uh, we came back from Africa in a smartphone world, and that was really like an anchoring moment because everyone was staring at their laps instead of talking to us wow. when, we, when we visited them. So that's that's been ingrained in my memory. That's just a reference point um, for a lot of this. But uh, I uh, last year, uh, I was training for this Ironman, and I go through a four-way stop in Logan County and get T-boned by a Honda Pilot that never slowed down. It's going 50 miles per hour. Ooh. top top to hill. I heard, you know, heard a squeal of a brake, and then I woke up nine minutes later um, and it had hit me so hard that it uh, disintegrated my bike Jersey. And so that I, I looked like it had been burned off because I went through the glass Ooh. and then it peeled me off and the shirt and, and uh, threw me backwards into the road. And so I woke up apparently nine minutes unconscious on the road uh, to a paramedic saying, "Don't touch him; he's bleeding from his ears." Whew. So that was after losing 120 pounds, getting off 30 drugs for these health illnesses, going from being able being told I'd be uh, confined to a bed my whole life to you know two months from an Ironman. All of a sudden, I'm laying down, thinking I'm bleeding out of my ears, you know, I'm going to die here. And that was a uh, hard reset, uh, you mm. might say, uh, for for a lot of things in my life. And, you know, there's a quote about, you know, you find your destiny uh, on the path, avoiding it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, I was so afraid of getting sick again that I was trying to get my body in this top shape uh, to do this Ironman because I didn't want to go back to the illness I'd experienced. And here I was laying on the ground, uh, literally on a road, mm-hmm. um, uh, dying in the process of training not to die. And by getting, you know, getting healthy and trying to do this big event. So that was a tremendous moment for me. Uh, You know, the good news is the blood was from outside my urine, not inside, from glass injury. Um, I got to a hospital and I walked out on my own accord three hours later. uh, I say tomorrow I've got big shoulder reconstruction from the impact, but I survived it. I finished the Ironman, and when I finished the Ironman, I thought, man, I've got to do things differently. Um, yeah. I had had a second chance at life from having these illnesses that I got while I was in Africa, and then I never thought my second chance would get uh, <laughs> turned into a third chance. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to reorient with everything that I'd learned that I wanted to make some pretty tremendous lifestyle choices. Uh, changes uh coming out of that last year and that's where this idea of of going analog uh, you know really started
0: yeah i i remember when we talked uh you you were sharing about how your mind was at this level of zen almost like you were just at this place of focus and concentration that you hadn't really been at but uh before this this point and you know for you, you actually had a moment where uh, you do have a life reset. For mm-hmm. a lot of people, they don't have a, a moment where, where they say, I should probably do things differently. But let's just say somebody was listening in and they said, okay, I'm I'm taking this seriously because where I'm going in the direction of my pace, uh, the force of, of my will, and also um, the reactiveness of of my life. These are not going to, to work out for me. Well, long-term, um, what are some of the things that you've experienced that you've, uh, found, um, in this process of going analog? Yeah. So, you know, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom
1: Mm. and you, you cannot know yourself aside from silence. And so we have to afford ourselves moments of silence where we can look inward and listen to our own self, our own consciousness, and listen to the voice of God. And the, the thing that I was learning leading up to this and ultimately learned um, uh, afterward in some silence retreats was that by constantly being on my phone, constantly communicating to people uh, on social platforms, uh, I was never alone with myself because I was never alone without my phone. And as long, long as I had my phone in my pocket, I was surrounded by people. I was surrounded by noise. And I would have an anxious thought or a worry, and I would look at my device. And I began to take this idea of moving towards hard things, you know, going into the cave, fighting the dragon to get the treasure. Mm-hmm. I thought this, like, whole digital lifestyle is a new dragon I need to fight. Uh, because my mind, when I'm looking at my phone, what really I have the opportunity to do it's to look inward and say, what are you anxious about, Matt? Yeah. And so that that was like the the big hard reset lesson, I think, for me. It was like, man, I'm not posting about getting hit by a car on social media because I want to share it with people. I'm posting on social media about getting hit by a car because I'm terrified, you know, and I'm scared yeah. to death and you keep talking about it like it's going to fix this anxiety by putting it out here on social media and seeing how people react to it and what became clear to me was what's important is man how are you reacting to this hmm. what do you feel about it what do you think about it you know and how is god speaking to you and so the the analog lifestyle essentially means a lack of digital presence in my life i actually removed my watch i removed my social apps from
0: my phone so we're we're talking like Apple Watch, something like like that. Like yeah, you know, that that digital thing. So it's always pinging in with oh, notifications. So re-
1: remove the watch. I've got a whoop band on I'm about to remove it's it ex- you know expires. I actually got like a cheap Timex uh little yeah. ana- analog watch. Um and then uh, uh yeah, removing Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn from the phone. Uh I had TikTok there for a minute, uh removing <laughs> that. Uh and then uh, I, I gave up any media, so no news, no Netflix, no Prime, no TV, all that stuff. Just going pure, hundred percent me, my mind,
0: books, people. Uh, this sounds like almost no screens outside of maybe text and phone calls. Are, are you know? Are, are you doing email on on your phone?
1: Yeah, I d- still do some some email on my phone,
0: mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, it's
1: WhatsApp and text on my phone. And then I try to do all my work emails on my computer at my office. And so when I leave, I'm looking at the sky and looking at birds. I'm looking at my children's faces. I'm, I'm looking at my dog. I, when I walk out of my home office and when I walk out of my work office, I'm looking at you know, my employees the office that I'm in. Yeah. And I'm actually like living in the space that I'm occupying rather than living in some projected
0: virtual space. Mm. Um you know, on a media platform all the time. What has that transition been like for you?
1: Uh, I mean, really beautiful. I mean, for, yeah. I mean for, for one thing, like my dog at 16 years passed away last month. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, she was great. We brought her back from Africa. And, uh, you know, I realized I like wasn't even petting my dogs anymore. Like the moment your dog will make eye contact with you and walk mm-hmm. over to you, now was a moment I was looking at my phone. And so I wasn't, I wasn't, it was just like, wow, I have restructured all the things that I love in life. Uh, we got a record player, you know, uh, to play records in the house. Uh, you know, time with my kids, my kids would look at me and then I would look up. They would look at me and I would look up. They look at me and I'd look up. I've got a five year old and three year old. And yeah. I thought, my kids are never getting my fresh eyes. They're never like looking at me while I'm looking at them. They're never getting that like first pure moment of attention, of affection, of like, you know, the clarity wow. of my own facial expressions and knowing that, you know, I'm there with them in that space. They're, they're looking at me and I'm having to come back to them. Mm. And, uh, and so the, like interactions with my children and my wife, you know, we used to sit in the same room, the kids would go to bed and we'd sit there and stare at our phones rather than talk to each other, you know, about what yeah. we're thinking and experiencing. And, uh, man, my relationship with God, like you have to listen to God to experience him. How can you ever listen mm. to him if you're constantly surrounded by noise? Yeah. Um. And so it's just like this—this this never having a time where I was alone, uh, because I was always with you all uh, on platforms. <laughs> uh, meant meant that I was, you know, didn't really know who I was, and and uh, uh, didn't know, you know, the the people and places that
0: I was gifted to be in and with mm-hmm. around me. You went on a silent retreat. You actually mentioned several of of them. When we talked at at Coffee Slingers just a few months ago, you were, uh, if I remember correctly, sipping the cinnamon plum tea because it didn't have caffeine, which, you know, I was like, I I think I was pounding more espresso at that point of of the day. So I was going the opposite path uh, of what you were talking about. And then you you shared how uh, you went on this silent retreat into the mountains and how that was the place where you heard God speak to you again. Can you tell us uh, yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My like first interaction with God was Him speaking
1: to me. I'm really got like, grateful that He's always gotten mm. through my thick uh, uh, <laughs> iron block head with with clear yeah. voices. But uh, I had I was celebrating ten years at Water Four, and my board offered me a sabbatical. And usually sabbaticals are CEOs planning to leave organizations who are you know, <laughs> taking taking time <laughs> off to figure that out. And yeah. uh, you know, I was like, I was you know, not, I mean, I was stressed. I mean, we we're at ten years. You know, I'd been a CEO for five. You know, where are we going? How do we grow? How do we get these goals? And I think the you know the thought was, I'll probably go somewhere with a beach and relax. And uh, <laughs> I like came back to him and said, what I want to do is take silence retreat. I'd like to rent a yurt in Southern Colorado. Uh, it's 30 miles from the nearest town. There's no cell phone signals. There's no people. It's just like this yurt up in the mountains, uh, and I like to do that in November when it's snowed in. So I have to ski or snowshoe in, and then I'll just be stuck burning wood fire for a week. Yeah. And, th- and they were like, "Man, whatever." You know, it's like you know, <laughs> fifty dollars a night. <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, so I did. So I like my family is super supportive. Uh, and I, I packed a few books, a couple journals, a star guide, and, you because know, I knew I'd have, you know, open skies. Yeah. And uh, you know, ridiculous wool hat, and uh, and, <laughs> and <laughs> drove my Tacoma to, to Colorado, and uh, you know, hiked in, got in this yurt, and I essentially like locked myself in a twelve foot circle, you know, for wow. for this week. Uh, reading and journaling and I wanted God to like help me get down to the bottom of all the stuff I wasn't letting myself hear. Mm. I, I knew that these anxieties and these fears are in there but I just didn't want to face them. I didn't want to process them. Yeah. So everything hard, everything ugly, every shame, every fear, every like condemnation that I've allowed myself to carry my whole life, I wanted to have an opportunity to get out and wrestle with that in the yeah. belly of the, in the belly of the whale. Um, and so I was tired of running, tired of running from stuff and thought, man, I might rock out in front of another car tomorrow and not get another chance. And I want to get to the bottom of this stuff Mm -hmm. now. So, you know, we, we wait till our deathbeds to look back at our lives and try to make sense of them. And, uh, man, I'm really lucky that I've had two chances to do that. And uh, I want to have it right for the third time. And, you know, the second time when the car hit me, I was at peace. You know, I, you know, it was, if it weren't for the thought of my wife and children, I was at peace, but um, you know now I get a, another shot, and so I wanted to just wrestle with it all, and uh, so like I filled an entire journal. Uh, I ended up reading nine books. Uh, I'd read the Bible from cover to cover that year already, so I went just back yeah. through Psalms, and um, and it was a profound experience. You know, I heard God, you know, several things He told me. One of which was release and blossom. Mm. But that was on like day three. Release and blossom. And, yeah. Uh, I was like, um, you know, there was this little pine cone that I picked up and, like, triggered this voice, you know, and release and blossom. I thought, oh, gosh, Matt, you got to stop holding on to all this stuff. You got to, like, the path, you know, to the growth that you want is in releasing, not controlling everything and facing these spirits you have. And uh, so, yeah, that was my, like your meditation trip came back with a clear strategy for water for clear strategy for, mm-hmm. for my life. And then, you know, just clarifying my purpose, you know, so I could direct all my energy and focus towards that. Um, it was, it was really profound. I, I'm doing it again this year. So I'm taking another week, another year, uh, first week of December. Um,
0: as a, as I love a, that
1: as a tradition now.
0: So uh, w- one of the questions that that I have on this, I I experimented with some different forms of going analog after we talked. The first thing I did when I walked away, if I'm being completely honest, is I went, okay, that's, that is way too much. This guy has lost it. I don't know what he's talking about, but I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I went back and a few weeks later, I bought a light phone, um, mm-hmm. ended up um, getting a really really cool opportunity to to get one of those I loved it because basically all it did was make calls text and it even texting was, was difficult what I found as time went on I'm a connector and so it was it, it was really difficult to keep up with the number of people that that I'm connecting with each week using yeah. a form like like um, the light phone so I'm wondering, like, as you made this transition, did you notice certain challenges um, that you weren't prepared for? Let's say somebody's thinking about going analog, they jump in, and then suddenly they're behind on on everything, and they get overwhelmed by by that. What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so part of this hard choices is, is I went qualitative relationship decision mm-hmm. grid, and so. You know, I have it. You know, I had built somewhat of a media presence on Facebook and Instagram. I had some mm-hmm. following, um, and so I had to ask myself whether I was going to reach my goal of knowing myself by constantly interacting in that space. And so, if I'm mm-hmm. trying to find out who I am by putting different versions of myself on the internet and looking at other yeah. people's versions of themselves on the internet, it's going to be yes. really difficult. So I just had to sacrifice that for one. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. who normally communicated with me on social platforms, you know, those, those ones kind of fell to the wayside. Yeah. Um, and so that was tough. You know, I like, I was like, can I be who I want to be? Can I be an influencer? Can I be a leader? Can I like, you know, I'm 39, Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of career left, you know, are you going to, are you giving up something by doing this? Um, and so I had to weigh and measure all those things. Um, and get my relationships on different communication patterns. What I do now is I text, uh, yeah. and I do really long old man voice memos. Uh, and that's <laughs> like my, like, that's, that's the way I talk to most people is these voice, You got like five of them. Uh, and so I like send these voice memos or it's kind of like we're talking on the phone, which no one does anymore, but you right. get to hear the voice, get to your inflection. And it's more personal than, yeah. than you know, just, just texting. Um, uh, and so that was an adjustment uh, people were wanting to email me all the time. I made my like staff create an agenda and then, so they would just fill the agenda during the week and then we'd get on a call once a week and they'd have this agenda already filled out of all the little random stuff that they normally text me about, mm-hmm. uh, on this list. And so that became like a parking lot for text messages that I could just respond to one thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it took a lot of adjustment. Um, and, um, uh, you know, for, for everybody, but I, I, like text pictures and videos. I've got like the rhythm down now. It, yeah. I don't think the light phone is the solution because the Apple stuff, the talk to text and the transcribe functions right. and all that are right. so nice. Yes, You know, you just have to delete all the stuff off the, off of it. that's the hard part. Yeah. I started out yeah. by setting uh time limits. So the app would have like so many limits. So mm-hmm. I do like 15 minutes on Facebook. That's how I like yeah. weaned off and 15 minutes is a ridiculously small amount of time for Facebook, uh, ironically. And, um uh, <laughs> And so I started, you know, cutting all that down. Uh, average American spends two hours and 15 minutes on social media a day, eight hours on, on media, media consumption a day. Eight hours, eight on, hours media on media consumption. Eight hours media consumption. I'm awake 16. I'm supposed to work eight to nine hours of that, yeah. which puts me in the negative for how much time I'm on media. Yeah. So I've, you know, I've read like 35 books this year. People are like, well, how do you do it? And I was like, well, I freed up eight hours a day. Uh, you know, yeah. like- the time you free up by not being on those platforms lets you have a tremendous amount of real mm-hmm. estate to focus and build relationships with. Yeah. So uh, you think you're losing a lot, by, but to communicate on a digital platform, you're going to expense time on a digital platform, and you, mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard to get that back. So yeah. by change, eliminating the social platform, I freed up all of this other analog time that I can use for yeah. letters, emails, texts, you know, calls.
0: Oh, I like that. You even included letters in there.
1: Yeah. Handwritten letters. It's in like 50 something this year. Uh, really? Yeah. I bought stationery and a like wax seal stamp because I'm, you know, whatever, uh, a
0: nerd and like do stationary letters. If you're going to do too. it, you might as well go all yeah, in. It's like fun. Yeah. Yeah so when when you made this jump for you it's this really exciting uh, thing happening. How's your team at Water4 responding <laughs> to this? <laughs> so like so, like the maximum at water four is you can't
1: unmat Matt uh, so it's like you know like leverage this so I mean like you know our our team has you know they manage things differently. I've got one staff person that's got super big into journaling and reading, and so everybody's kind of like. People have either, you know, thought this is intriguing and made it a part of their own path and journey or they've adapted to it in some way. Uh, you know, the, the, the I think the unique thing about me as a charity, a water charity CEO is like the amount of thinking and philosophizing I do in terms of economics and human behavior. And, and so I think the, the time I've had to think about that has been really useful to the organization because I'm, I'm thinking what are the big, big, big like macro conversations that need to happen for us to achieve what we want to achieve in the long run. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, of course it's been an adjustment uh, and anytime you make a change, we, we always, so if you do something, if all of a sudden you start wearing, I don't know, uh, a hat all the time, yeah. I'm instead of like thinking about you wearing a hat, I'm, I think, what does it mean to me? Every change you make, my first reaction is, what does your change mean to me? Mm, yeah. Then I start to observe it. So it's the affect of what you do that I interpret before the effect. And so beyond mm. like the benefits of it, the first thing my staff thought is, what is Matt saying about us when he made these changes? You know, yeah. like, my yeah. family and everybody around me. The first thing you have to do is let people know you're not making a judgment of everyone else's decisions. You're on a path mm. for yourself. Yep. And that's what my maxim is. I'm trying to know who I am so that I can, you know, have wisdom because wisdom is going to lead to happiness and a pursuit of God. Mm. So that's why I'm doing all this. It's not to like judge society or the world. It's because I got to set another third chance at life and I want
0: to, you
1: know, pursue it in that way. So I think looking back, I, you know, I would recommend anyone that makes these changes is to be really clear with a team that like, this isn't Mm -hmm. some judgment or criticism and, you know, being a CEO avails a luxury of flexibility with these things mm-hmm. uh, that not everyone has too. So being cognizant of that, um, but uh, yeah, t- of course, it took
0: it took uh, some more some adjustment on the team to make it work. When you think about the past, uh, I- is it six months now of going analog? So I've not consumed any media whatsoever all year in 2022.
1: And okay, so- yeah. So that's that's like pure unadulterated uh, for
0: six months now. Yeah. So how would you describe from from a leadership perspective? It's it's allowed you more uh, clear thought. I I think you know uh, when we're baked into um, notifications and going at a very fast speed, we can jump into things more quickly. That maybe not be our best. Choice may not be the the highest and best use of our time because we're we're used to going fast. We're used to being reactive. But on top of that, you also have uh, relationships that that you build, uh, people on on your team that you're going to connect with. And then you in you know in in your case, you have 1,800 projects going on internationally, and so connecting with with partners all over. What does this look like for you as far as um, both thinking clearly uh, for? the long haul, and then as well, making connections with your team and partners? Yeah, I think so
1: in terms of clarity, you know, journaling every day, reading every day, mm-hmm. uh, meditation every day around you know my life, um, you know, my, my vocation, you know, my faith gives me a tremendous amount of clarity of purpose. And so I'm able to filter everything through this idea of what's most important for me to involve myself in which has gotten me out of a lot of conversations that I didn't need to be a part of Hmm. with my team and staff and allowed me to focus on my unique uh, contributions to what are for as an organization. Hmm. So I'd say the clarity is what don't I need to be involved in anymore? What do I need to be involved in anymore and liberate everyone from that. Uh, Most of your staff, if you, if you're a boss are thinking about you instead of your customer and you know, it's an opportunity to you Hmm. not, not to be in constant conversation and problem solving with them so they can think about their customer instead of their relationship with you. So you need to say, we're good. Like, I love you. We're gonna have this one-on-one meeting. Everything's great, but you don't need to text me all the time. I don't need to hear from you every day. Like, you need to do your job that I've clearly assigned and clearly tasked out, but you need to focus on that instead of focusing on reaffirming our relationship through constant communication and text. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hard truth mic drop uh, you know like like focus on what we need to get done so we like yeah. got qu- quarterly goals quarterly rocks KPI set all that at mm-hmm. set up so you you know how you're doing based on you, you're meeting those goals and us meeting together so that was like one big change um, and then the
0: second question you had was um, so we're Within this, how how do I think strategically? How how has it impacted your, your strategic thinking and then how has it impacted your connections, your your personal yeah, your relationships with team members and partners?
1: Yeah. So this just you know, instead of like dealing with all these little micro crises all the time, I come on and review the team's goals quarter to quarter, week to week within a yearly Mm -hmm. framework. And so I'm really strategic, high level. And that's the stuff I'm thinking about, you know, pipelining new donor relationships for us, you know, implementing government partnerships and countywide programs, make sure consumer in Africa is on target. I told my team after the year, I'm going to be at 60,000 feet and six feet. I'm going to be in Africa, you know, uh, three, four months a year with our clients, in community, spending the night, Seeing what it feels like, what it looks like, what it tastes like. And then I'm going to be 60,000 feet talking vision, mission, uh, you know, strategy with people. And then in like the rhythms and communication question, I just backed everything up into every day, every moment to, mm-hmm. you know, once a week. And so yeah. I have really quali- highly qualitative conversations once a week, which lets me time block. Uh, and really focus on that person in one conversation mm-hmm. because instead you're like you're asking me a question and I'm typing an email to somebody and'm not really yeah. focused on what you're asking anyway I'm looking at my phone while I'm on a zoom right. call and so there's no real like qualitative you know input I'm doing anyway half the questions you ask your boss you already know the answer for if you would stop looking at your phone you'd have a better answer than they'd give you anyway and mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah for like the employee it's like You know, a lot of my staff say by the time we write it on the form to ask you next week, we delete it because we realize we already know what to do and then we just do it. And so it's like, I mean, just incredible efficiency for you and your staff. It's liberating, you know, Mm -hmm. it's stressful for some people. The biggest thing is I don't think we communicate with people to ask questions. We communicate to reassure our relationship with people to deal with the anxiety we don't want to deal with, which is our uncertainty about the future. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's the thing that we're not thinking about or not writing down or not talking yeah. about. And so uh, uh by, by by focusing on you know what we really need to do and then having that conversation with yeah. your boss about your future, you can eliminate a lot of wasted
0: time and uh <laughs> text messages. So you all have become more efficient and it sounds as well like you become more effective in the process together. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah, effective, yeah. efficient, and in, you know, deepening relationships because then you know, like when I meet with staff, I can have an hour of lunch where we just talk about them. Uh, and that's a lot better than just texting me all the time, trying to mm-hmm. read between the lines and listen to my tone and
0: you know, yeah. all that stuff. So I I'm thinking some leaders are, are listening to this and they're going, Okay. Call to action today. You want me to get rid of all of my screens and <laughs> jump into the deep with with you, Matt. But the thing is, I'm not ready to do that because I still love Netflix, I still love Amazon Prime, and I enjoy even some of the interaction yep. that that I have. So instead of calling everybody towards an analog life, and unless that's where you want to go right now, I am curious. Like if somebody's looking at a reset. You know, when when you were making a reset for the third time here, yeah, what was the, what are some of the questions that that you're asking that that maybe can be helpful for somebody to help them take a next step in making a reset for themselves to help them increase focus, efficiency, and effectiveness across all areas of their life. So there's like an ancient practice that
1: says to meditate on your death, meditate on your mortality, until like mm. realize that this could be your last day. And then what would you do, you know, live accordingly if this is your last day? And so what I did is I said, what do I want my last days to look like and feel mm-hmm. like? And then I'm going to reverse engineer everything in my life to, to give me that last day. And so that's what you need to do. What do yeah. you want to feel like? What do you want it to be like? What do you want your last day to be? and be really honest with yourself. Are you gonna have that in the way that you're living your current life? You want deep relationships with your kids as they grow up? Is everything you're doing really building towards that? Mm -hmm. You know, do you want, you know, loving relationship with your spouse and your 50th wedding anniversary? Is what you're doing gonna lead to that? you want a meaningful career and you want to be an executive and you want to build a big company Is what you're doing, building towards that. So you just like get really clear on what your purpose in life is and reverse engineer everything against that. And everything you use your time and energy for should be oriented towards that goal and anything Mm. else you're burning time. You don't have, you know, and and you think eight hours a day on media, you know, compound that over a year and over 30 years Mm. and over 40 years. What could you do? What impact could you have in the world? You know, if you use that time more wisely. Um, so you need to be honest with yourself about your own personality uh, and your own ability to manage, you know, addictive (laughs) things. But I would say it's, you know, what I would call everyone to is to know yourself and, you know, know what you want to be, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, and then build everything in around that uh, and orient your time and energy towards that goal. Um, and that will require giving things up, but you will gain disproportionately
0: to whatever you you know release in that process. So we got to take a hard look at where our lives are going, and ultimately, uh, what our lives will say about our choices. Uh, what our choices will ultimately lead to in in our lives when we arrive at the end. And that can allow us to create uh, a reset in the middle uh, that can lead into greater focus, uh, greater effectiveness, greater efficiency. And if we're really looking at it uh, in in your life, a a greater sense of purpose and meaning. And so we can take those steps. It's not that you're not thinking big enough about your goal. It's
1: not you're not thinking small enough. You're not thinking about the tiny little habits, Mm. the tiny little decisions you make every day that are affecting whatever big end you're going to have in your life. And so you want some big impact and big goal? Think really small. What am I
0: doing day to day that's going to drive me and build me towards that? Ooh, I love that. Well, Matt, thanks for uh, pouring into the leader growth community today. Uh, See the sign behind you, do hard things. Your life has been built around that quote. It very well seems. And so thank you for the contribution you're, you're making in Africa, uh, what you're doing here locally, and ultimately what you're giving uh, to your family, yourself, and to God in the process. All right. Well, that wraps up today's conversation with Matt Hengen on how to find your focus. I want to remind you that you can go and sign up for more info about modern leadership today. Do that at leadergrowth.us. That's leadergrowth.us. We're going to be back here next week with another fantastic guest on the Leader Growth podcast. If you haven't yet, would you rate this podcast, review it, subscribe to it, and share it with someone you know it can help? Thanks for joining us again. I'll see you next week. Until then, love hard, live full, and lead strong i a front like I'm ballin', I got moves to make. Better with success, I got dues to pay. All good things, they come to those who wait. Yeah, what I left behind from tryna be great. Ain't no secret to success if you ain't workin'. If you ain't down to hustle, then you don't deserve it. If it came easy, probably go fast.